This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Kind of continuing along the theme, we talked about Jesus before, uh, before uh, the cross. Last week we talked about Jesus at the cross. This week we want to talk a little bit about some of the things that took place with Jesus after the cross. And uh, I titled this message, Eight Days in the Dark. And there's a reason for that. We don't like the dark. We have a tendency not to like the dark. When, when Joy and I first married, she really had a lot of fear in her life. And uh, she slept with all the lights on and a big Bible in the bed. I'm not talking about a small Bible. I'm talking about a big, if you roll over it, you could hurt yourself Bible. <laughs> and uh, I, I told her, I said, darling, I said, that ain't going to work. And so I, I need lights off and I don't need you know, the Bible in the bed. But she, uh, that was just one of the disappointments that began to occur with Joy marrying me. She thought that all night that I would hold her and that we would sleep just like closely. I'm like, when I sleep, I don't want you touching me. I want you over there. I, I need space. And so, bless her heart, she had a challenge with that. There, but we don't like that the little boy was about four years old. He's outside playing with his mom's broom. And uh, he left it outside. And his, his mother, uh, a little bit later, said to him, she said, uh, honey, I need you to go outside and get the broom. And he's, he said, it's dark outside. I'm scared. And she used this as a teaching moment. She said, oh, you don't have to be scared. She said, Jesus is out there. So that little boy's four. He's smart. Stuck his head out the door. He said, Jesus, would you bring me the broom? <laughs> There's just something about us that we, we don't like the dark. We don't do well in the dark. Now, when I'm talking about the dark, I, I'm talking about an environment I am talking about a spiritual condition. I'm talking about sometimes a mental or emotional condition, the dark environment. Please don't read anything into what I'm saying. Please understand I'm talking about environment, not anyone's skin color. And uh, I realize we live in a canceled culture, and people like to take things that you say and, and just expound on them. I'm talking about environment here. So in the dark is a phrase that we use when people are Let's say I'm a little confused on something or I can't see clearly. Where are you on this situation? Well, I'm a little bit in the dark on this. That means we can't see. We don't have clarity. And things look different in the dark. You ever notice how, you know, as a kid, I can remember, I knew something was in my bedroom. And I knew it was like some kind of monster type thing that was going to bite me when I went to sleep. And so I kept my own, and then when daylight would come, you realize it's just a chair with the coat thrown over it. I, uh, we redid our home uh, about three years ago, and we, we redid the whole thing. We were out of it for a couple of months. And when we moved back in, Joy had added some new things. I got up in the middle of the night, first night back. I'm heading for the bathroom, and as I stepped around, there was a man in my bedroom. Man, I, I'm having very non-pastoral thoughts like my gun is way back over there, and here I am, and there, there's, there's someone right here. And I'm staring at it until I realized that Joy had put up a mirror on the wall. <laughs> and that was me I was looking at. <laughs> hey, it was in the dark. Things look different in the dark. I was not expecting it at all. We, uh, we'll use the phrase, when someone has gone dark, that means you can't communicate with them. Where are they? Well, they, they've gone dark means they, their cell phone is out or they're not answering the phone. It, again, 
It's not implying anything good. And then you hear the, the phrase, under the cover of darkness. Well, police reports will tell you that most violent crimes take place in the dark. And you, you look at police stats, and the, the really bad ones take place at night, uh, when it's dark. But if you are a believer, if you've made your faith and profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are not in a kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. And the Bible says we have been delivered out of the domain and authority of darkness, and we have been translated or transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you look through the scriptures, it's always referring to light. We are in the light. And here's the good news. Not only are we in the light, we are the light. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, it says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul's making a very clear distinction. You, you were in darkness, now he's talking spiritual darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Lucy Sundahl told a story, had to be years ago, told a story of the, uh, she was, a friend of hers was in an elevator and the power went out and it was pitch black in the elevator. In the elevator. It was funny, Joy and I were talking about this message and she said, you know, she said, you ought to just cut all the lights out in the auditorium and just have it go completely black. I went, no. <laughs> no. I said, somebody's going to be coming back from the bathroom, can't find their chair, can't find their chair, fall down the steps. We're in Lawsuit City. No. Bad, <laughs> bad idea, Joy. Bad. She needs some light in that area. But we, she said her friend was in an elevator. The power went out. She said seven people, all strangers, kind of panicked until one guy remembered that he had a small flashlight in his pocket. The reason I say it was years ago, because if that happened today, seven people would have pulled their phones out and shined that way too bright flashlight on everybody. But he said that as soon as they brought the flashlight out, that it just, it, it just dissipated the fear. And they began to talk and to laugh and to tell jokes, and they even sang. And for 45 minutes, he said it was just, you know, it was great. He said, but but it wasn't great until the light came on. And then she said something, and I agree with her. She said, we are that flashlight. Where we show up, we are the light. Jesus said, let your light shine. Where we show up, we can dissipate fear. We can bring light. We can bring lift spirits. We can, we can be a light to a world that's afraid. And we show up, there's light in us. So aren't you glad you're not in the dark? You are the light, and you can let your light shine. She said this, and I like this. She said, you don't have to be big to be effective. You just have to be on how do we stay on? How do we cut our light on? Well, I want to give you a contrast of a guy who cut the light off. He's in the New Testament. His name is Thomas. He is known as... Yeah, just don't call him that when you meet him in heaven. <laughs> don't you go, hey, doubting Thomas. He's going to say, why don't you come over here and talk to me a little bit about your life too? And you're like, oh, no, no. I don't want to do that. But I love the fact that his story is there because it helps us. Because Thomas spent eight days in the dark that he didn't have to. Let's read his story here. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. 
Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you, which is always something good when you come through a closed door. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas made a choice. And uh, a lot of times we don't think of it as a choice, but he made a choice. And the choice was he chose not to believe because he had enough reason to believe. For one, he had Jesus' words. Jesus had told the disciples repeatedly that he would be killed, but then he would rise again. And he had said that. He had, he had referred to that. He had said it just openly about being raised from the dead. In fact, they had big discussions about what does that mean, being raised from the dead. But Jesus had said, in fact, the angels, when I think the two ladies came to the tomb on Easter morning, they, and they said, and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen as he said. So he had said that. So he had Jesus' words. Could have believed that. He could have believed the fact that he had his, his well, at that time there were 10 guys. Judas was not there. He had 10 guys who were eyewitnesses that he knew them. And he could have believed them. He could have believed the prophetic scriptures that talked about the Christ being raised from the dead. So he had all this reason to believe, and yet Thomas chose not to believe. Thomas chose to believe what he could see and feel. And you hear his words here where he went, he simply went, I will not. So I put my hand into his side till I put my finger in his hand. I will not believe. I will not. That's a choice. I mean, can you imagine Thomas could have done this? They could have said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he went, no. And yeah, we saw him. We saw him. Saw the holes in his hand, saw in his side. Thomas, he's alive. Thomas said, really? He said, yeah. Remember, he said he was going to rise from the dead. Thomas could have said, yeah, that's right. And when we saw it, Thomas could have looked at Peter and said, now, I never trusted you, but Matthew, did you see that, that, that Jesus was alive? Matthew said, it's for real, Thomas. I saw it. And Thomas could have said, praise God. Praise God. The prophetic scriptures have come to pass. Praise God. Jesus is alive. That's not what he did. You can see Thomas fold his hands up. So Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's like, mm-hmm. He's like, no, seriously, we've seen him. Mm-hmm. And then Thomas said, no, until I see and feel, I will not believe. And you, you don't even think about it. The Bible said it wasn't eight days until Jesus showed up again. Thomas spent eight days in the dark that he didn't have to. He could have believed. Because all the other disciples, they're excited. They're talking among themselves. They're going, man, I wonder when Jesus is going to show up. Do you remember when he showed up last time? Yeah, I remember you, man. You about dropped your food because you were so, he just popped in the door and they're talking and Thomas is over there going, they're like, Thomas, Thomas, we're telling you. Thomas is like, mm-mm, mm-mm, I will not believe. Then Jesus did show up when the door was shut. Stood in the middle of them, said, peace. And they're all like, okay, good. And then he said, come here, Thomas. I would not have wanted to be Thomas. <laughs> come here, Thomas. And uh, I, I love the fact that, that he held his hands out, saying, here's my hands, here's my side. You know, it's interesting that Jesus did not blast Thomas. Jesus didn't look at Thomas and go, 
Come on, Thomas. Come on, man. You followed me for three years. I told you I was going to, and you can't believe. I'm going to tell you something. Bro, you are hopeless. You're just hopeless. That's not what he said. He said, come here, Thomas. Thomas looked at him and said, my Lord and my God. That was smart. Good move. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus used that to contrast. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed. He said, blessed, blessed are the ones who have not seen, and yet they believed. So he, it's, he's telling Thomas, Thomas, you had a choice. You could have chosen to believe. He didn't look at Thomas and go, Thomas, I, I know you couldn't help yourself. So oftentimes we, we've heard people say, well, I, I just can't believe that. You can believe what you want to believe. It's your choice. And we have indication of that because John continued to write. And look at these next couple of verses. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I know you've heard people say, well, seeing is believing. Nope. John wrote, he said, no, no, that's not how it works. He said, we wrote these things that you may believe and that in believing you may have life. So let me give you this. They're written so that we can believe. And in believing, we have life. Or in believing, you cut the light on. See, this is where we have the ability to step out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. It's not because he proved anything to us. It's because we simply believed. And John says, I've written these things that you may believe. You don't need anything else. But let me talk to you about three areas that's important, three areas that you can cut the light on, three areas that we need to cut the light on. I don't want to be in the darkness. I want to be in the light all the time. And so let me give you the first one, that God is real and God is good. We can believe that. Here's a basis for believing that. It's found in in Hebrews 11:6, 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've got to believe two things about God. Believe he's real and believe he's good. He's a rewarder. That's, that's a, a marvelous thing. But we can believe that. So we have his word. It's written that we can believe it. But not only do we have his word, we have the witness of creation. Creation tells us there is a God. We look around and the Bible said that the invisible things of God are, are clearly seen. By what we can see, it points to who God is. And so often you'll, you'll have people, we look at this creation, this world we live in, it's an amazing place. They say our sun, our sun, which is a star, is a very unusual star. A lot of stars have these solar flares that just, well, man, well, they, they shoot out just these, these flares that would just incinerate us if some of those flares hit us. But our sun, doesn't have, our sun has puny little flares. Poof. Other stars have big flares that would have fried us. But isn't it amazing that we live in a place that, have such, that has such a, an amazing way of, of, of doing things that our, even our sun is a gentle kind of sun. Here's the deal. We can choose to believe what we want to believe. People say, Alan, I, I, I can't believe that. I'm a, I'm a person of science. Listen, I got great news for you. You can be a person of science and a person of faith without compromising either one of those. 
I'm going to, I want to give you something that was written by a physicist. He's a Nobel Prize winning physicist. If I'm ever reading something by a science or, or a physicist or I'm quoting, I'm going to quote it. I'm going to read it because I'm not a physicist. Not even close. But I like what this guy says. He says, I see an orderly, beautiful universe in which nearly all physical phenomena can be understood from a few simple mathematical equations. I see a universe that had it been constructed slightly differently would never have given birth to stars and planets, let alone bacteria and people. And there's no good scientific reason for why the, this universe should not have been different. Many good scientists have concluded from these observations that an intelligent God must have chosen to create the universe with such beautiful, simple, and life-giving properties. Many other equally good scientists are nevertheless atheists. Both conclusions are positions of faith. Boy, that's so true. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm a person of science. I, I believe in, in evolution. Well, listen, that's, that's a position of faith. You've chosen to believe that. Let me, let me help you with this. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, then you're, good and, you're set for the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe, and that's what I believe. I can look around this beautiful earth and I don't see, I see such a plan. I see such a design. Listen, if there was an intelligent design, then there was an intelligent designer. And that's the one who created us and he made us in his image. We're all different. We're all beautiful. And, and DNA and science. And I read something the other day. I, I, I read this whole article. I don't think I understood five words of it. This guy is a Christian He's a, he's a God, he, he wrote a book called The God Hypothesis. If you read it and understand it, please come talk to me about it because it sounded interesting. But he basically said, if you back the universe up, if you go backward, it obviously had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, it had a creator. And if it had a creator who created things so perfectly, then there is a God. And he just had some great things to say. Listen, you don't have to be a person of science or faith. You can be a person of faith who believes in science because science backs up everything that God has done. And we have a choice as to what we believe. It's our choice. And when you choose to believe that God is real and he's good, you cut the light on and the light comes on in your life. That's how we went from darkness to light. Here's the second one. We need to believe that God will never leave us and that God helps us. God will never leave us and God helps us. And again, in Hebrews. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my help. I will not fear what can man do to me. Say, well, I can't feel God. I, I, I don't sense his presence. This is, this is just a God forsaken. My home is just a God forsaken place. No, your home is not a God forsaken place. You have a basis to believe. It's not based on what I see or feel. It's based on what he said. And he said he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. So if he said that, then the scripture said we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. And we can also boldly say, thank God I don't have to be afraid. If the Lord's my helper, if he is with me, and then I'm going to say that. Don't do like Thomas. Well, when I see the Lord help me, then I'll believe it. Now I'm going to believe it, and then I'm going to see it. Now here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. Now, as I was praying about this message, the Lord dropped something in my heart. It had to be him because I'm not smart enough to come up with this, but this is the truth. If you want to walk in the light, you've got to talk in the light. What do you mean by that? I mean, you can't say, oh, oh I, I, you know, I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe he helps me. But like, I don't know where God is. God's not helping me. He's not, he's not doing it. Look, no, 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 no. Whatever he said, we need to say the same thing. If he said he will help you, then you need to say, the Lord's helping me. What are you doing? When you do that, you begin to talk in the light. Instead of saying, I can't do it, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's talking in the light. Instead of saying, I just feel like I'm cursed. My whole family's been cursed. No, never say you've been cursed. Say, thank God the blessings of God are upon me. I belong to him. I'm a blessed person. I'm not a cursed person. You can talk light. Talk God's help. Talk God's spirit living big on the inside of you. Don't talk death and defeat and all the negative things. Listen, you're going to say something. You might as well say words you can live with. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Don't talk. You can't. You don't know. You wonder why. I've had young people come and tell me, you know, Pastor, I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm in college now, and I've got professors, and they don't believe in God, and I'm starting to doubt God. I'm like, whoa, 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 don't ever say that. Don't ever keep talking about your doubts. If you're going to doubt anything, doubt your doubts and, and just stay with what you believe. I believe God's good. I believe he's real. I believe he's helping me. I believe he'll never leave me or forsake me. And I don't have to feel him. I believe he's good. Listen, guys, we've got, we've got to be able to talk light, not leave here and go, I don't know about that. You seem pretty wild up, but I don't believe any other. No, 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 no. You know, Joy and I, years ago, we, we heard this, and we heard about the power of our words. And one of the smartest things we ever did, we did a lot of stupid things, but one smart thing we did is we did not talk death about our marriage, about no aspect of our marriage. We went through some tough times. But I think, I think in the whole, our whole 39 years together, I think we mentioned divorce twice. And it was real quick, and we apologized for it. Why? I'm not going to talk that. I want to walk in the light. We're going to talk in the light. God's helping us. Here's the last one, and I want to take a little time with this one because it's so important, especially for parents. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God has a plan and purpose. Now, people can hear that and they kind of go, oh, yeah, I know, God's got a plan. No, 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 we need this. We need this. They did a poll at the end of, of 2019, uh, and they polled 2,000 millennials young people between the ages of 22 and 38. Eight out of 10, 80% of them said this, I'm not good enough. Eight out of 10, I'm not good enough in any area of my life. 75% of them said they felt this overwhelming pressure to, to succeed in their careers, in their romantic relationships, in their finances, in their expectations of what other people thought of them. And they said it was causing them mental health issues. Listen, that's a, that's a pandemic of, of negativism. 80% are saying, I'm not good enough. Something's going on. Well, I, I can tell you that this generation, as you look at the generations, we've moved farther and farther away from God. Well, the farther you move from God, the farther you get from the light, the farther you get from hope. And science has failed this generation. They put so much hope in science. Science isn't giving them answers. I'm going to read another, what another scientist said. This one was not a believer. 
Listen to what he said. New Scientist magazine, they, in, uh, in September of 2016, they ran scientific answers to philosophical questions. And the question was, what is the meaning of life? Here was an answer that Graham Lawton wrote. Graham was the, was the author of this. He said, what is the meaning of life? From a scientific perspective, he said, the harsh answer is it has none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but then they will die too. Humans will go extinct. Earth and, and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can a human life have any real meaning? Doesn't that just make you feel like whistling a happy tune? <laughs> That's dark. That's dark. That gives you no hope. That gives you nothing. Science is wonderful, but science can't give you hope. Well, a lot of the millennials have put comments, hey, I want to have these experiences. I want to go out and experience things. That's great, too, but that's not enough. People were surprised about the, a man by the name of Anthony Bourdain. He might have been one of the millennials' just favorite people. I mean, he had the life everyone wanted. He was rich. He was a celebrity chef. He was famous, very successful. He traveled the world tasting all different kinds of foods. You think, this guy's got everything. But they, in an interview, he was talking and he said, he said, there's been some things happening. He said, he said, you know, I, he said, I was in, a, in, in an airport in Argentina and I ordered a hamburger. He said, I know it's small and insignificant, but it wasn't good. He said, and it spiraled me into depression for days. Later on, Anthony Bourdain took his own life. And, and, and yet people are thinking, why? You've got food, you, you've got you're a foodie, you're a celebrity, you're rich, you've got everything, you have these great experiences, but again, that, that can't put you in the light. You see, there, there's something that can put us in the light, and that's knowing what our Creator has said about us. Look at this verse here. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now let me speak to you parents just about something. I'm going to make some real friends out of some of you. We have never told our children you can be anything you want to be. I hear that all the time. Look at these athletes, and they win a championship. They're like, yeah, you can be anything you want to be. Well, I'll tell you what. If I was 6'4", 220 with zero body fat, I might be a little bit better at football. But the bottom line is I, I didn't have that. My parents didn't tell me that. We didn't tell our kids that. Joy used to take Christina to voice lessons and took her for a long time. Uh, let me just tell you something. We never looked at Christina and said, darling, you can be the most amazing singer that you want to be. Christina sings like a cat in a barrel. It is just... Uh, <laughs> and, and, and have we not all seen those people on, on American Idol? They're like, they're like, my baby, I told my baby they can be whatever they want to be. And we hear your baby singing. I know why you're crying. I'm crying too. It's horrible. <laughs> Listen, don't tell your kids they can be anything they want to be. Tell your kids you can be anything that God's called you to be. And he's got a plan and purpose for your life. And you can do it. And this is what takes the pressure off. You don't have to compete for God's plan for your life. 
You don't have to, I don't have to beat out Joel Osteen for God's plan for my life. I just have to be the pastor of the ark. I don't have to be the pastor. I don't have enough teeth to be the pastor of Lakewood. So I'm called to do this. But we need to look at our kids and go, and go, they go, they'll come in and go, Mama, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, and nobody likes me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are God's masterpiece. He's created you in Christ Jesus, and God's got good things for you. There are good things for you. There's a good plan for you. And when we believe that, listen, and your good plan, and the good plan does not mean you have to be a preacher. The good plan doesn't mean you have to be a worship leader. Some people think, well, only people God's ever called are, are pastors and preachers and worship leaders. No, God's called every one of us to be a light, to be a witness, to glorify him as a sales rep, as a construction worker, as a stay-at-home mom, as a teacher. Whatever you do, you can glorify God. That gives you purpose. You're, how you fulfill that, well, that's his plan. Find out where you fit. But let's don't keep telling our kids you can be whatever. Just tell them God's got a great plan for you. It is a great plan. I almost married a girl that was not in the plan. <laughs> and then I met Joy. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Because somewhere then the enemy keeps telling us God's plan for you is bad. God's plan for you is bad. Let me tell you something. God's plan for you is better than anything you have ever even imagined. It's good. And when you believe that, you cut the light on. When we believe that he will leave us, never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and he's helping us, we cut the light on. When we believe he's good and that he's real, we cut the light on. You know, Thomas, I won't leave Thomas hanging. Thomas made an adjustment. And the, and the historians tell us that Thomas actually went into the area that we know as India and was incredibly effective there at spreading the gospel. So much so that many Indian converts, when they would take a new name, would take the name Thomas. If Thomas made an adjustment, you can make an adjustment. I can make an adjustment. We don't have to doubt. We can choose to believe. And when we do, we got the light on. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Best place to start believing is believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior that he died on the cross for your sins and God raised him from the dead. When you believe that, you step out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're going to say a prayer in here just a moment. And, and you're watching online, you're, you're watching or you're here today, and you say, Alan, I've never, I've never made Jesus Christ. I've never made that decision before, or I'm really not sure if I have or not. Then this prayer is for you. Or maybe you're like I was. You'd made that decision, but you got so far away from God. And you realize, I'm tired of living in the dark. I want to come back. I want to live in the light. That's where the good things are. That's where God is. That's where the help is. That's where the strength is. That's you today. Then this prayer, again, is for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here and you say, Alan, that's me. I, I want to be in on this prayer. I want to know that I know. Or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? Real quickly, slip your hand up just across this auditorium. Say, Alan, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Anybody else? Just say, that's me. Don't be embarrassed. We appreciate your humility. Great. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you're online, you can join us in this prayer. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, you can pray it quietly. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Hey, maybe you didn't lift your hand and you really wanted to. You can still pray this prayer. We're going to pray it with you. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. 
Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you. For those that prayed that prayer, for those who have stepped out of spiritual darkness into your spiritual light, and for those who've come back into the light, we rejoice with them. And Father, for all of us, we thank you that we have the capacity, the ability to believe, to cut the light on. If you've said it, we can say it. And we give you all the praise that we can walk and live and be the light to a dark world that needs so much. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.